trying to use something like crypto or Bitcoin uh, as a circumnavigation of, uh, of sanctions is just not a very good tool. Everyone would see the transactions. Every bot on Twitter would pick up uh, a huge transaction move between wallets. And then also, who's going to take the other side of that trade? Hi, and welcome to The Financial Fox, finance, investment, and crypto with a twist. I'm your host, Steffi B. I'm the founder of PR company Cassiopeia Services, and every week I bring to you my favorite conversations with investment experts, market disruptors, mover and shakers, and the coolest projects in crypto. Crypto is showing its strength during this crazy time of political uncertainty, market volatility, and we are actually seeing what crypto can do for good. And today I'm going to discuss that and much more with Jeff Hancock, CEO of CoinPass. But before we go into the episode, remember that all the content here is only for informational purposes and we don't give any financial advice. So before you decide to make an investment decision, do your own research. And also, if you're not subscribed to our channel, Click the subscribe button and follow us on social media to stay up to date with our news and interviews. Let's get straight into the episode. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good, Steph. Nice to see you again. How have you been? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Listen, so much is happening right now with uh, this the geopolitical situation and the market uh, volatility and crypto is kind of... Um, being used as a weapon, isn't it? It's a bit politicized. And, uh, you know, from one side, you have got, um, you know, donation going in crypto to Ukraine. And on the other side, you have got uh, Russia that perhaps could use crypto to avoid the economic sanctions. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit on uh, the role of crypto during these uh, times. The role of crypto, I mean, I think there's different layers, there's different levels. Um, if we start down with the people that this war and conflict is affecting the most, you know, everyday people, um, Russian rubles saw a massive collapse, you know, 30, 40, 50% um, look like pretty much every altcoin chart I've ever seen in my career. And people wanted to protect their wealth or protect their life savings uh, are looking at something like crypto because it is fully decentralized. They can take it with them anywhere in the world. Um, and we saw volumes in terms of platforms like local Bitcoins or Paxful uh, spike massively um, the day uh, after the invasion and obviously the last few weeks. People literally trying to dig their life savings out and hold on to something while this conflict goes on. We've got you know protesting on both sides. Uh, obviously, Ukrainians protest against the war, but also Russian people themselves in Moscow, in London, in America, all over the world protesting against this war. And they're seeing, you know, they're the ones that are going to be the most affected by this. But at a state level, at a much larger level, um, so we'll skip straight to the top. Even if uh, a government were holding you know, large quantities of crypto uh, in storage somewhere to access for these kind of uh, usage, um, I don't see it as a tool that they could possibly use to go around sanctions. I think in terms of funding a war effort internally in their own systems and dealing with their own intergovernmental agencies or troops or you know, manufacturers, that kind of stuff, I can definitely see it being used as their own liquidity supplies dry up. But if you think about the cost of a war could be you know, in the billions a day, trying to use something like crypto or Bitcoin uh, as a circumnavigation of, uh, of sanctions 
is just not a very good tool. Everyone would see the transactions. Every bot on Twitter would pick up uh, a huge transaction move between wallets. And then also, who's going to take the other side of that trade? Who's going to provide some sort of financing, whether it's in US dollars or euro or whatever, uh, to fund that war effort when they're being actively sanctioned and cut off the SWIFT network? No one's going to really stick their head out uh, of a you know multi-million, you know, multi-hundred million dollar uh, uh, Bitcoin trade in order to, to facilitate that. Yeah, I think this element about uh, uh, crypto being public, that's really, um, you know, it, it is an important point to make. Uh, and I do think that, yeah, I kind of agree with you, crypto can really be used as a way to fund world, really. Mm. Um, but on the flip side of that, it's also proven very resilient and very robust as a humanitarian effort. Uh, we saw um, the uh, official... Ukrainian government um, uh, Twitter profile put out some some addresses, and immediately the community were uh, obviously checking these addresses. Who's actually in control of them? Are they legit? Is it a scam? And they were proven to be legitimate. And we've seen uh, huge amounts of support from all over the world. First, it was you know five million. Then a few days ago, it was ten million. Now up here, it's topped you know, over fifty million uh, worth of donations. And what can Ukraine do with it? Well because they're the defenders in this conflict, unfortunately. They can rely on their allies if they need to liquidate it back into hard currency. They can use it, again, internally to get it to those uh, manufacturers or getting it to uh, relief aid, uh, moving money around where they need to fund these defensive efforts. But everyone from everywhere in the world uh, has the ability to funnel capital into one specific uh, wallet address, one specific source uh, that cuts out all the middlemen. So... For this specific kind of conflict, we're talking about two different sides here, the invader and the defender. It's definitely working as it should, uh, as a completely transparent, public, fast, you know, quick way to move capital around where it's needed immediately without any of this middle mayor nonsense in between. I think it's interesting that we have seen so much support. At the same time, we have crypto exchanges like Binance, for example. They offer big support uh, to the Ukrainians, but they didn't shut down a Russian account. And, and I think that's a very interesting point because mm. that's uh, the reason why crypto was born, to really be yeah. available to anybody. So the, the, the centralized exchange part is, is, is a very interesting kind of conflict uh, conversation as well. We saw um, a similar stance from uh, Coinbase, from KuCoin, from Kraken, et cetera, that you know, the essence of crypto being open is that they will not abide by FATF sanctions. But um, if you think about you know, the, the greater good and the greater conflict here is that shutting off financing to specific you know, layers of uh, uh, of, of country control is the only way that this conflict might end. You know, it may go on for a long time. It may spill off into, into something more significant. So supporting, you know, the spirit of crypto through not shutting down those kinds of accounts uh, can sort of be counterintuitive depending on the situation. I think for a situation like this, um, we have to look at, you know, the, the greater good here. Here's a country that's invaded and started a pretty much an illegal war, as they call it, an invasion. Um, and by not taking action and following suit with, you know, global sanctions, it's um, it's it's definitely not helping. Uh, it is a very tricky bit. I think when you're talking about crypto, you're talking about blockchain, you're talking about the decentralized part of the network. Um, centralized exchanges form a part of that network, but where the intermediary, where the endpoint between where uh, legacy banking stops and the new crypto infrastructure starts. So being either one side of that or the other, 
sometimes you also have to think of uh, what the business needs to survive long term and also uh, uh, how you're impacting the rest of the world. Yeah, listen, um, obviously we are seeing Russia is uh, gathering supporters with China, Brazil, maybe, mm. maybe India. So in a way, those are kind of like strong controlling governments. And uh, China has been developing their own CBDC. So my question is, do you think CBDCs can play a, a role as uh, a new form of money, especially with this conflict? So can they get kind of a push to get more uh, developed and used as well? I think they can get developed and used because all central bank digital currencies are in their current format or their current ideology is a digital, faster, more efficient way of the existing fiat currency central system. So all the central banks are going to talk to each other. All the central banks would hopefully, you know, might maybe have you know, one ledger each or, you know, let's hope all central banks are on a single ledger, a single decentralized ledger um, to speed up essentially the bottlenecks of the SWIFT network. But all of those central banks are still going to be interconnected and they're still going to have you know, that government level uh, oversight to them. So a central bank digital token is only as good as who you can trade it with. Um, one of the news reports I saw was quite an astonishing one that close to 60, 65% of Russian reserves are in other central banks and other parts of the world. So the liquidity they were holding on their own territory was actually only, you know, 250, maybe 300 billion uh, worth of gold, worth of cash, worth of whatever. So being cut off from the rest of their money supply and the rest of their assets um, severely crippled their ability to, to finance their, their war effort. So having a CDBC internally, sure, you speed up the, the flow of transactions, you speed up the velocity, but being able to trade with other counterparties is still a central bank esque swift network s kind of problem so it can't work but i don't think the speed of innovation will um allow them to trade internationally um to you know pull a fast one on on all the other governments especially with the timing with uh, you know this uh, cbdc development that is yeah it had its potential, but it's it still comes down to trading counterparty. Who, where is that? Where's the other side of that liquidity coming from? Exactly. So let's say we look at uh, um, the the impact basically that this war is having on uh, crypto, and we have seen the price of Bitcoin spiking. Uh, what is going to happen next? What are your you know your kind of prediction? Where do you see the crypto market moving uh, in the coming month? Um, that's always a really good question. And 50% of people get it right. The other half get it wrong. Uh, and by saying nothing, everyone gets to be right. So it's, uh, I wouldn't be in this business if I wasn't bullish on crypto. Um, I'm probably more bullish on its rate of adoption rather than just price speculation. So if crypto is showing anything now is that it can be used as a relief tool, a very effective one on mass, uh, 50 million may not sound like a lot, but when it's going directly to you know the end troops, directly into aid, directly to the other kind of things, and people are giving from you know ten quid worth of Ethereum up to you know up to two to three million each. Some of the whales out there that are doing an amazing job. Um, it's proven that it's it's usefulness and its utility, especially in a time like this where speed and and uh, speed and uh, reliability is everything. It's shown that it could be a used a useful tool for good, not just for you know making meme tokens and uh, and illicit transactions. But with that kind of activity, with the networks being used as they're supposed to do, that 
in the past, there's always created value as well. When we see a large usage of Ethereum, we see gas prices spike. We see Ethereum prices spike. When we see a you know massively bullish sign for Bitcoin, i.e. El Salvador make it legal tender. Others, there's plenty of bets out there for which country is going to be next. That has always spurred, always spurred on a very positive correlation with price activity. So I think the more adoption we see from crypto through this conflict through the next few months through the end of 2022 if the adoption rate and the interest of using the tech for whatever it wants to be used for speculation payments building dApps whatever it's going to be nfts that usefulness and adoption and that you know using the networks what they're for will end up creating some sort of value as well yeah, I think that's very, that's exactly, you just outlined it perfectly. Yeah. So I'd, foc- I'd focus on adoption, I'd focus on penetration yeah. into existing markets. Uh, and that's what I would focus on more, seeing where these projects are being used, seeing how they're being used for good. You know, what is the brand image that they are getting? And I think through this conflict, crypto has actually shown uh, a very positive face for once, which is awesome. Exactly. And listen, should businesses start accepting payments in crypto right now, considering everything that we dis- we discussed? So what will be the benefit really? Oh, massively. I think every every business uh, should be, you know, whether you're a bricklayer all the way to a full law firm, uh, you should be looking at, at crypto as a, not just a hedge against fiat. I mean, lots of US dollars out there now, Russian ruble crashing, which shows a you know massive dependence on um, how, glo- how globalized our economies really are now. I think the onset of this conflict is going to have a massive knock-on effect to the price of cars, the price of computers, the price of tin goods, uh, fertilizer, how fertilizer is used in crops. A lot of the stuff that's made in Russia will no longer be available and it's going to put on a huge strain. So how does a business protect itself? It needs to find ways to invest this capital to protect you know, some of the wealth they've created in that business. And crypto, there are many, many avenues to do that. Uh, buying Bitcoins, taking other forms of, uh, of investment is, is is all speculation. But when it comes down to payments, it allows any customer anywhere on the earth to, 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 to connect and do business with that company. So setting up a traditional bank account or a Wise account or a Revolut or whatever it's going to be to get normal fiat payments, those are fine, but there's usually some inherent additional fees there. Um, something on crypto, there's no way that you can say, oh, I didn't receive your funds because I can see very clearly in my wallet, <laughs> I've received the funds. Uh, it allows that local business to be global. You know, and with more and more businesses uh, wanting to do business with other individuals, freelancers, et cetera, uh, some of them are, start, are starting to take more of a preference on crypto than traditional banking, purely for ownership and speed, and then what they can do with those, like what they can do with those funds after receipt. Uh, some people are stacking, some people are liquidating back into traditional fiat, uh, and some of them are putting it into a platform you know, like ours at CoinPass and uh, and using some of our services for that as well. I would just want to just to come on CoinPass. So, so do you want to, to tell us about the latest news? Because we have got a new website and, uh, you know, you're going to add some interesting feature very soon. And also your plan to help uh, um, crypto going mainstream. Sure. So um, while we're still, you know, we, our, our bread and butter is fit on, on and off ramp uh, and trading. So people can start up an account, they can uh, get funds back and forth in their bank account. Uh, we don't have any limits on sizing and stuff like that. Um, but what we've got coming down is obviously adding more tokens. You know, we've just recently added Solana and Matic, um, you know, both very promising blockchains. Uh, you know, are they Ethereum killers? I don't know. Ethereum's a great brand, but they're definitely contenders for taking a lot of market share. 
Um, we are planning on adding uh, ready-made portfolios. So, you know, kind of one-click investing people that want to build a diversified portfolio of crypto assets. Uh, staking is another one we're going to bring on as well. Uh, we'll launch with uh, Tezos, Polkadot, uh, and maybe ETH2 staking as well, um, ahead of the ETH2 proof of um, uh, proof of stake algorithm change this year, next year, whenever they get, whenever they get it finished. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, obviously the NFT side as well. Uh, we've seen the NFT space being increasingly popular, um, not just for individuals, but obviously businesses as well. They're either creating their own collections. They are, uh, investing in, 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 in pieces of art. I remember talking with an asset manager back in 2019 when Bitcoin was like 5k and I'm like, just buy one. Just, just buy one and sit on it and and learn. Um, and they didn't do it, but uh, they came back a couple of years later looking to buy a, a three million pound NFT collection. Uh, and hey, can we help them with the Ethereum transfer of that of those assets? Like, yeah, sure. Don't do one Bitcoin now. Do loads of NFTs instead. So, um, but we want to put that under our existing licensing uh, with the FCA. Uh, we are actually investigating a dual licensing. Uh, regime right now. So we have uh, greater ties into Europe as well to help our European customers. Um, and the one thing that's still on the um, uh, on the planning board right now is obviously payments as well. We will we'll be adding stable coins in the near future as well, I would say in the next few weeks, um, where people will have access to stablecoin liquidity for pounds in Europe. Um, but then obviously businesses that want to you know, take a payment to their own wallet and still liquidate it into their UK bank account, they'll be able to do that on that platform as well. Wow, there are lots of happening. And uh, I mean, the way that I see CoinPass is really um, a gateway for uh, people that maybe are not in crypto to get in crypto and use these amazing features and tools and in a fully compliant way. And I think the FCA compliant, I think, is, uh, is a very important aspect of your business. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of what we built our frameworks on since 2018. Um, there were no regulations whatsoever in 2019 when we first started, but we had a bit of foresight and it's like, well, yeah, crypto is always going to be crypto and blockchain and whatever that whatever beast that evolves to be. But there's always going to be a bridge between you know the the legacy world and and obviously the new world. And we wanted to build it in a compliant framework so we could have the best of both worlds, not having a sacrifice in either. I mean, our our vision is to blow the line between uh, digital finance and uh, financial services. So, uh, and want to bridge that onto a single layer where it doesn't really matter if you're in banking or if you're in crypto, they can look exactly the same from a user experience point of view. Um, we've always planned to, or planned to, we've always taken care of our customers, you know, being really engaging on the support. Um, and there's never ever a dumb question. It allows us to evolve our product. And a lot of our product is community-led. So we do read your emails. We do look at the uh, 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 Facebook and, and Twitter responses. Uh, dark mode was by far one of the, the most requested features, which I think was was an easy one to do. So obviously the new website, all the new branding is, is dark mode first. We will bring a white mode back later. Um, but then on the flip side, all of our like white hoodie merch is way more popular than our black hoodie merch. So it's a very, very, it's an interesting space when you really start to peel back the layers. And um, uh, where we wanted to add more value now is a lot of our users use this as a gateway to get off to other platforms. And that's great. Uh, we have a lot of trust with them. We have a lot of trust with UK banks because of our FCA connection. Um, but obviously adding more features and services uh, to kind of pivot maybe into more of a crypto wealth platform into not just an exchange. And that's what we're working very, very hard on for 2022 and the rest of 2023. 
I like the aspect of uh, support that you mentioned, because with other exchanges, what you really lack is the support. It's being there, helping your user. But also another element that I see that you are are quite active as well is education, because There is no point to offer something when you don't educate about you exactly. know, what you're trying to do. And yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, some of our clients now have evolved to the point they know more about Bitcoin than they do about pound sterling or, or US dollars. You know, all the government intervention, how it gets printed, how it moves around, you know, nine, 10 to one leveraging on banking, et cetera. They don't, like, you can't fathom how complex that system is, but you can learn about blockchain, you can learn about Bitcoin, learn about Ethereum uh, in very simple terms and then go and try it um, with, uh, you know, a non-custodial wallet. You know, you can experiment with DeFi, you can buy an NFT, you can move stuff around the system uh, and it can be very intuitive. It doesn't have to be complicated. And, uh, you know, that's where it kind of comes from with great knowledge is great power. I think where we are now um, in terms of, you know, we think of value in crypto spaces, networks, and the old world is still thinking of value in markets, stock markets, trading markets. But really, those will evolve to be on some sort of blockchain in the future anyway. So the more time people spend in this environment, um, you know, not looking for the latest shiny penny, um, but just, you know, bringing some of their wealth into their own control, uh, using platforms like ours and other platforms out there as well. It's not a one size fits all, but knowing what is available out there to protect your wealth and grow it. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're still at the, at the bleeding edge of the sword and anyone that takes the time to do it now will be greatly rewarded in the next 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Exciting times then. So anybody that is interested to know more about CoinPass, where should they go and how can perhaps get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, our website's the first, first post protocol for everything, uh, coinpass.com. Um, very active on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. You can find our pages on there, so Coinpass Global, coinpass.com. Um, I'm very active on, I'm starting to get more active on Twitter. Uh, so if you want to re- reach out to me personally, uh, feel free to tweet at me, uh, Jeff underscore Coinpass. Fantastic. That could be quite interesting for business, as we said. They might want to yeah. you know, discuss uh, opportunities with you. Okay. No, exactly. Thank you so much for coming on the show and I'm going to have you back soon, you know, in, uh, in a few months and then we see what, uh, you know, how things has been developing. Amazing. Thank you very much, Steffi. I'll see you, see, you, see you next time.